You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. We do. We thank you this morning, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are here, that you are with us. Not only you are with us, but you engage with us. That you communicate with us. And your Holy Spirit is here and manifesting and engaging and talking and equipping and growing and releasing and nurturing and loving and enfolding. And we thank you for that this morning, Holy Spirit. And this morning I choose, and hopefully we all choose, to receive the prophetic, the powerful, the life-changing, the authentic word of heaven this morning. That we can come before you and hear what it is that you are saying to our city, to our region, to our church, in your beautiful and glorious name. And all the saints said, Amen, Amen. and Glory. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. I just want to see one of your... Fantastic. How many of you are excited this morning? Fantastic. Well, if you need to move closer to a heater, then then feel free. As the clouds move in front of the sun, I do appreciate that the the temperature dips. But for the guys that are watching online, Marianne, I just assume that you are in front of a heater and drinking hot cocoa and chocolate. Good to have you. Um, To the folk in the UK, I gather that you're in the midst of of warm winter. Uh, To Grant, wherever you're watching from, I trust that you're warm. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that wherever we are geographically, we are connected cardiologically. We are connected in spirit. We are connected in kingdom. We are connected as one in your awesome and most beautiful name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fantastic. Not at the minute, though. A couple of weeks ago, we, I was saying that um, we, 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 had, we were so quick to say, how are you? And we respond, I'm fine. And then we said, okay, we'll have like a, a, a cash jar or whatever you want to call it. And within three seconds of coffee, Lionel was holding me to account. You know, you need to go put cash into the, into the, the, the thing, you know, already. We just get into such a habit. And at Bandit Brothers this week, Brian has this amazing chicken where he says to the guys, okay, chicken with an emotion and a high and a low. And then you say, well, I am feeling encouraged and this is my high and this is my low. And I learned something powerful from that. And so even as we go in for tea and coffee afterwards, let's start off the conversation by chicken. I check it with my emotion and a quick high and a low of this week. It just helps us to get to know one another's story. Um, and, and as we get to know one another's story, we have grace, we have compassion, we can nurture, we can love, we can know one another more. The more we know one another, the more we can be involved and, and equip and lead and grow and do life and do, do kingdom together. To and I ask Holy Spirit that this morning we can check in with you. We can say to you, Holy Spirit, this is my emotion. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling content. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling let down. I'm feeling joyful. This is my high and this is my low Holy Spirit. I want to check in with you. And as we do, I trust that 
the word this morning will bring growth and maturity. It'll bring revelation. It'll bring joy. It'll bring challenge. But above all, I trust that it brings life. Because the word of Holy Spirit, the word of God, should bring life and transformation. The word should make us more and more like Jesus. Every time we sit under and we swim and we dive into the word, we should become more and more like him. So this morning I'm going to carry on teaching from the book of? Oh, you guys are so prophetic. Fantastic. So I'm going to share from the book of Revelation this morning. And I'm wanting to... and as I share from, from Revelation this morning, my, my desire is that we, we grow, we mature, we, we become more and more like Holy Spirit. And even with my little booklet that I remember Candace saying is a good idea, I'm being, being blown around this morning. Oh, and even with that, I'm being, being blown around this morning. This morning I'm wanting to, to share, and I'm going to carry on from Revelation 2.18. And, and my message this morning is how do we, confr- how do we confront compromise? And, I, and I'm sharing this, I've, I've skipped a little bit, so I'm going into this because there's a lot that I want to unpack this morning. There's a couple of changes and tweaking and things I'm wanting to, to make this morning. But I'm saying, Holy Spirit, won't you bring a now word? We're navigating through a series on John 7, letters to the church in the book of Revelation. And as I said, Revelation is this time where, where John gets a download from heaven after 50 years of silence, after, after 50 years where the new believers, most of them had never had Jesus in their presence. They'd never met the intimate, the person-to-person, the, 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 the Jesus in the flesh. They'd never had a beach bride with Jesus. And so they'd given their lives to Jesus. They'd pressed in for 50 years. And they were, they were doing the most amazing things with God, but there was trials and tribulations there was suffering there was internal persecution remember it's not the persecution that comes from being dragged off to 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 jail but it's a a persecution of being in this world but not of the world of being able to say lord what is it that you are calling me to and jesus is addressing these these churches and Jesus gives this word to the churches in Asia Minor, and he gives seven churches representing seven cities and seven regions a specific and a direct word. And in this letter, the message is the church of Thyatira. It's one of the most difficult letters, I think, of the seven letters to preach on, to teach on, to try and find something encouraging in here. It's a teaching from Jesus, the prophet Jesus, the pastor and Jesus the poet. Remember we're all in peace at the moment, we're on a roll. So Revelations 2 verse 18, write this letter to the angel in the church of Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God. This is the message from the Son of God. And each of the letters that Jesus writes to each of the regions, to each of the cities, and represented by each of the churches, Jesus writes this letter with absolute intentionality. The wording that he chooses to use is so profound, and unless we dive deeper into it and chew over it, we can skip over it, and it just becomes this book of confusion. It's just this book of science fiction. It's this book that you know, that, that we, we, we don't really understand, but it's one of the most meatiest, awesome, good books. It's a book, not of the Antichrist, but it's a book of the living Christ. And Jesus identifies personally with each and every church. 
Jesus has this profound way of teaching and speaking into the heart of the people in these churches. And so in each introduction, Jesus is clever in the terminology and the things that he says to be able to say, I know you, I am with you, I am talking to you because I know your story, I know you. In Thyatira, one of the dominating gods was a god, Apollo, who's the son of the god Zeus, or Zeus. And Apollo's name just happens to mean the son of God, because he is the son of Zeus. And so the, the, the local God that rules and has dominion in their, in their theology over this area is called the Son of God. And so Jesus starts this letter speaking to the local church and says, I write to you, this is a message from the Son of God. His name just happens to, 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 to resonate deeply within what this local church, this local city, this local region meant. And so Jesus brilliantly addresses this local church. And by saying that this is the letter from the Son of God, Jesus is talking directly to them. And I want you to suggest this morning that in this season and in this time, Jesus is saying to the church of Johannesburg, and if Jesus was talking and writing a letter to the church of Johannesburg at the moment, what would he write? Would Jesus say to the church of golden glory? Would Jesus say to the church of influence and influx? Would Jesus say to the rat race church, I am talking to you. This is, friends, why we need to know, Jesus, what is it that you are saying? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to our church, to our city, to our nation? I think too often we can, we can become so consumed with podcast theology that we listen to a word that Jesus is saying to the church of Los Angeles or Cape Town or Las Vegas or London, and we miss out what Jesus is saying to the church of Johannesburg. That's why we need the prophetic voices to rise up and say this is the word to the church of Johannesburg so that the local church can understand and identify with what Jesus is saying to us and not what Jesus is saying to someone else. And so often I get words that are sent to me that this is what God is saying and I say but is this what God is saying to me, to my city? And maybe even my nation, or is this what God is saying to Reading, to Richmond, to Japan, whatever the case may be? John wants you to know that Jesus is relevant. John wants these seven churches to know that Jesus is relevant and he knows you. That Jesus is clever and he's profound and that Jesus is brilliant. And he is speaking with personal revelation to you. And so friends, I'm wanting to suggest this morning that Jesus is speaking to the church of Johannesburg. And the church of Johannesburg needs to rise up and say, Lord, what is it that you are saying to us for this season? What is the relevant, real and now word for this church in this season because Jesus speaks these words 
for eternity and Jesus speaks these words from eternity because Jesus knows where we've been and Jesus knows where he's taking us and we are caught in the middle of the past and the future and we live in the present with hope for the future learning from the past and saying Jesus what are you saying to me to my city to my region and to my church what are the specifics what are the now words that you're saying to us friends I'm wanting to encourage us and say that Jesus is more relevant to us today than he has been to us at any form of the past because his relevancy for us then was relevant but Jesus's relevance to us right now is for the now let's live the now learning from the past and celebrating where he's taking us but Holy Spirit what are you doing for me now Verse 18 continues. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire. This is the Jewish way of saying that he sees everything. Nothing misses what he sees. And whose feet are like polished bronze. And this is an idiom that was used to say that his foot his feet are on solid ground. There is no shifting. There is no shaking. There is stability. Jesus is saying, I see everything. And I am on solid, unshakable, real ground. There may be shifting and shaking in the Roman Empire, but there is no shifting and shaking in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says this, He's saying something to the local church. He's saying something to the local city that they would have lent into to be able to hear more of. When we hear the word that God is saying to us as a city, as a church, as a nation, as a group of people, are we leaning into the word? Are we saying, Jesus, you're talking to me. I want to lean into it. I want to know more. Am I on the edge of my chair when Jesus is talking to me saying, just give me more. I want to sap it up. I want to drink it up. I want to know all that you're saying to me. Why? Because you are relevant and you are real. And this is the time and thank him and jesus says in verse 19 i know the things that you do i go oh <laughs> i hope you know some of the things i do you know some of those things i'm not too sure jesus i know the things you do and then he continues and i start to get a little bit excited he says i know how you love i know your faith i know your service I know your patient endurance and I go, thank you, Jesus. I love this thing that you see of me. Why? Jesus is affirming his church. And Jesus is saying, church, I love the way that you love one another. I love the way that you endure. I love the way that you press in. I love the way you get excited about service in the community. I just love you guys. I go, oh, that's my Jesus. That's my church. I can rock and roll in this word. It is, ah, it is awesome. Remember, friends, when Jesus was writing the church of Ephesus, he says, you have been diligent in your doctrine. You have been diligent in your service. One thing I hold against you is that you've lost your first love. Of all the works and the words and the things, without love, there is no meaning in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus calls them back to his first love, the church of Ephesus. And he says, I want you to come back to your first love. You must come back to Jesus and you must come back to his church. It's not Jesus and Bible study. It's not Jesus and something else. It's Jesus and his bride. That is what he's calling us back to. And then to the church of um, Thyatira, Jesus says, I have seen your love. I've seen your acts of service. Yes, I've seen your faithful action. I've seen your perseverance. And I just love this. Jesus says, you don't just believe me, but you have faith for me. You don't just come to church, but you are the church. You don't just act, but you're acting out your belief. You are giving me glory. You are a bride that's radiant. You are a church, a community, a family that is serving the community. You are full of love for one another. How many of us would say, oh Lord, say that over our church. What is interesting about the church of Thyatira is that it was the smallest church of the seven that Jesus wrote to. And yet he writes the longest letter to the smallest church. I go, wow, you know, this morning God's writing a mega letter to us and a small little letter to them. And I'm only joking. It's the smallest church who got the biggest, longest letter. To the smallest city, God gave them the most. I think it's both profound and prophetic. Where we live in a culture of chasing after numbers and chasing after the wrong things that God wants to encourage those that are A, B, and C that I said just now, rather than going after numbers. And I think it's both profound and prophetic that Jesus this morning would like to say to you, to us individually and to us as a community, He wants to say that the areas and places in your life that you may think are the smallest and the least profound to the areas in our lives where we think have the smallest influence and least effectiveness. I'm wanting to speak into those. This would have been one of the least significant cities in the region. It was the only city that was on flat ground. All the cities were up on a hill. All the cities were in mountains. All the cities had views. All the cities had strong defense. All the cities had might and strength behind them, except for this city. And therefore, this city was a city that was attacked again and again and again. And so Jesus has a lot to say to the perceived insignificances in the people and the places and in your lives. And one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible, this is the verse that of all of them I want Jesus to say after me, I can see your constant improvement because Jesus says to this church, I see your growth. Yes! He sees my love, he sees my service, he sees my faithfulness, he sees my endurance, he sees my growth. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus sees growth when other people don't see growth. Friends, Jesus measures growth. God is looking for growth. 
growth matters to God. Maturity matters to God. So it can be so discouraging when you are following Jesus and you're doing everything that you possibly can. You are faithful in your studying. You are faithful and in pressing into the Word. You are faithful in your prayer. You are faithful in your community. You know that you are growing in God and nobody sees it. Lord, I'm growing in my gifts. If only I would be recognized. Lord, I'm growing in my faithfulness. I'm growing in my generosity. I'm growing in the things you've called me to do, but I'm just not being recognized. And Jesus is saying, I see your growth. I honor your growth. Your friends may not see it yet, but they will. I believe that the church today needs a greater and fiercer theology on growth. The church today needs a fiercer, more violent theology on maturity and growth. And that is what Ephesians talks about. Friends, I would suggest that it is tragic in our Western version of church where people can attend church for years and years and years and never grow. Where people can be involved in a great community of believers and a church that is amping and thriving and offers so much and yet people do not grow and mature. Friends, we should grow when there is life. We should grow when we are plugged into a living community. We should grow when we are plugged in to the radiant, glorious, life-giving bride of Christ. And if we had a fiercer theology of growth and maturity, we would be able to challenge one another with love and conviction and faith and purpose and challenge our friends who are stagnant and not growing. Because if there's no life growing through you, you will become a dead branch, produce no fruit and need to be pruned, broken off, burnt. We would challenge our friends who live in the shadow of their growth if they were real friends and we had the relationship and accountability with them. Friends, it should be the strangest things in church for people, people to be connected and committed and we see no evidence of that. We should see and experience the evidence of life. The evidence of connectivity, the evidence of maturity, the evidence of growth, the evidence of faith, of perseverance, of overcoming and of winning. As I said last week, we should be able to put the crown of leaves over people and say, this morning I put a victory winning crown over you because I see that you are winning. I see that you are overcoming. I see that you are persevering. And as community and as, as friends, we can say thank you. Thank you for what you see in my growth. It will encourage us to commit to further growth. Friends, every believer should be growing in authority. Not just authority to do more, but authority to tear down more, the authority to grow more, the authority to, to, to do more. We should be growing in wisdom. 
We should be growing in stature. We should be growing and becoming more like Jesus. If we look at one another, we look at the friends around us, do we say you are becoming more like Jesus? And I would suggest that where the answer is yes, they're people who are plugged in and doing what God has called, that they are committed to their personal growth. And people who are stagnating have tapped out and dialed out. Are we doing okay? Oh, uh, Father, won't you turn this water to strong coffee? I can't say why it's, be, 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 it's before 11 o'clock in the morning my mom, and my mom's watching. So I've got to say, I've got to say coffee, but thank you, Jane. Mm. In the natural, if our kids, if our, if in the natural, if our kids did not grow and mature, people would think it's strange. People would intervene if our kids were not growing and maturing. We would seek help if our kids were not growing or maturing. Yet we live in a church culture where growth and maturity is not highly regarded or accountable. And shared this morning that it's about passing on love and about passing on the baton in the prayer meeting this morning. Maturity is when we are not just a disciple, but when we are making disciples. I am being discipled, and I hope I am making disciples, and not just attending kindergarten on a daily basis. For me, the, the, the best time I have to, to disciple and to get to know people's stories the best time I have to input and equip and to pass on the baton, the best time for people to receive a baton is when I have the opportunity to do things one-on-one. But the reality is often that is a challenge and difficult. The second best is for me to be able to, in a corporate setting like this morning, be able to say, let me pass on a baton, let me mature, let me equip, let me disciple, let me share something as a download of what I trust is of heaven this morning. And every Sunday morning and whenever we get together. For me the beauty of being able to see growth and maturity is at prayer meetings and, and test me time. And we see people rise up in their prayer, in their intercession, in their proclamation, in their testimonies, in their overcoming. When I see people who have taken a baton and are passing on a baton to more and more people. Where I see the growth fleshed out in family, in fellowship. And in fun. I would suggest that if you've been in church for years and you're not actively walking people into maturity, then something is wrong. Who are you actively walking into maturity at the moment? Who do you choose to actively walk into maturity? Who are you discipling? Who are you holding to account and inceding for? For their growth, for their maturity, for their benefit. Friends, I would suggest that the things that often equipped us in the past are not the things that equip us now. The things we had to grow into in the last season aren't the things we need to grow into in this season. I no longer need to learn how to use a knife and fork. 
I no longer need to learn how to ride a bicycle. I no, I no, I no longer need to learn how to pray in tongues. But the things I'm learning now is how to pray in more tongues, how to pray more effectively, how to increase the quality and effectiveness, the strength, the authority, the power of my prophetic words. It's no longer to give a prophetic word that God loves you, but it's to give a prophetic word that God wants to change you. Growing and, and maturing is not just about Kumbaya fellowship, where we gather around and sing a song and have a cup of tea and go home unchanged. Friends, if we're growing, we should be outgrowing our current season. Now, even at the moment, and the sun is behind the clouds and people are starting to shiver, but we have seasons. If you are growing, you have seasons where the leaves fall off and new things break out. Where there are new plants, new growths, new, new, new branches. Growing in maturity is going through a season of winter so you can prepare for a season of spring and summer. It's understanding the summer and allowing that fruit to drop off you so that it will grow and more goodness and more trees and more fruit will mature. If you're growing and your seasons do not change, there is something wrong. And if you're growing and you're staying in the same pot, your roots are dormant and your growth is stunted. Friends, we should be submitting ourselves to the people around us and asking them, do you see growth? Do you see evidence of growth in my life? Do you see evidence of maturity in me? Do you see the fruit of personal responsibility and Jesus manifesting and working and walking through me? And if people are honest enough to say no, if the answer is no, then let's say, won't you help me to be able to grow and mature? And I must move on. Brrr, Lord, press pause. But friends, the reality is that if we thought verse 20 was just like, that, that was really exciting. I see the things you're doing. I'm so excited. I love your growth. I love your tenacity. I love all the maturity that you're doing. Then Jesus moves on to verse 20. But as I go into verse 20, I want to remind you that Jesus isn't talking to the world. Jesus isn't talking to the people that don't know him. Jesus is talking to the people who do know him. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is talking to the church and how long have I been going for? 30 minutes already. Okay, we need to fast forward. Jesus is speaking these harsh and brutal words now as he moves forward. You are my life now. Jesus is speaking to people who have declared that. He's not speaking to people who don't know them. So for all the people who said, Jesus, you are my life. Everything I have, I give to you. All that I am is yours. I lay down my life. I'm baptized. I rise up as a new creation. All I am is yours. These are the people that Jesus is talking to. The disciples who said, I will give every part of my life to your kingdom and not the Roman kingdom. To those of us who said, Lord, your will be done and not ours. And maturity is when Jesus can trust us with the harsh words. Because in Hebrews, Jesus says that he disciplines those that he loves. How many of you are loved by Jesus so much that you open to his discipline? I put up my hand most of the times, but sometimes I go, Jesus, like not today. 
I'm just not in the mood. I don't have the capacity. Won't you come back another day? Jeff's there. Go discipline him. Love him more. When it, comes to, when it comes to discipline and the nice things come to me, if it comes to discipline and the bad things, the naughty things, or those things, go to Jeff. Go love him more today. You know that Jesus loves you when he corrects you. Do we know our friends love us when they correct us? Or do we think that they've got bad attitude? When our pastor comes to correct us, do we go, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm going down the road next Sunday and I'm going to a church that loves me. And their coffee is better. And they meet inside and they've got heaters. But when the pastor comes to you, you go, oh, Stu, you love me so much that you, you, can, you can bring some correction. Now, I, I love it. There, there, there are people in our community, even like a fortnight ago, I pick up the phone, I phone somebody in the, in, in, in the church, I say, can I just like hold you to account on something? And the, the beauty of that relationship, the beauty of the feedback is just like, wow, we are growing and maturing. Verse 20 to 23, See, now we have all these nice things, and then Jesus comes in with the but. You know, the but and the therefore, the things you never want to hear. I love you, but. You're doing well, but. You know, we don't hear those things from our spouses, let alone from our Lord. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting this woman, this Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead you astray, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin, to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn from her way, from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly, unless they repent, and turn away from their evil views. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the attentions of every person, and I will give to each of you what you deserve. Oh, okay, if you've got a, a paper Bible, just tear that page out. We just don't want those pages. We want the nice pages. So Jesus speaks this word of rebuke, this word of correction. And sometimes we need to not use like words like rebuke and say this word of love, this word of correction, this word of realignment or something. Yes, this is a church that is doing well. A church who are loving, who are serving, who are patient and pursuing in. But Jesus says they have tolerated false teachings and a false narrative from this woman. He says, you've become passive. You've become paralyzed. You've allowed things to happen that are leading you astray. You become intimidated by a fresh wave of teaching, a fresh way of thinking. You've become intimidated by a pandemic. I don't believe her name was Jezebel. Jesus gives her this name. Jezebel comes from the story of Elisha. When King Ahab, God's king, marries Jezebel, a foreign woman and a pagan woman, and this connection ushers in compromise. Ahab takes God, Yahweh, and marries and embeds a foreign culture into his God. There is a compromise that takes place and is ushered in. And so God sends Elijah in one of the most epic this is where science fiction becomes great. 
and, and Elijah gathers all the false prophets and he says to them, let's have a test. I'm wanting to boast to my God. You bring your false gods, I bring my God and we're going to have a showdown of notes. And on this morning, this is where we go, yes, Lord, come and light the fires. And he gathers the false gods of the prophet Baal. He confronts their kings. He confronts them in front of the people. And because they're unwavering, and then he builds his altar. And Elijah starts to trash talk. See, Jeff, trash talk is biblical. And he starts to trash talk. And he says, tell your, no, where is your God? Has he fallen asleep? Is he on the toilet? Where is he? And after all these false gods that have fallen asleep and are on the toilet, fail to arrive, Elijah walks up with swagger and confidence and calls down the fire of heaven. And haven't you ever had those moments where God really comes through for you and everything is so good and you walk here on cloud heaven and you just think, yeah, I've arrived. I've seen signs, wonders and miracles. I've prayed for somebody. I see healing come through. And the next moment, it all just like falls flat. For pastors, we call that a Monday morning. And Elijah gets accused by Jezebel. And so what does he do? He flees. He runs for his life. He cowers. He's intimidated. He is fearful. And this is what Jesus borrows in this context. This is the name that Jesus gives to this influencer who is leading the church into compromise and away from first love. Friends, we can't really understand the rebuke slash the correction slash the love that Jesus gives to this church in Thyatira unless we understand the story and the dynamics. Unless we understand their story. And so friends, we've got to understand the story of Johannesburg, the story of real life, the story of the person next to you, so that we can love and encourage people into growth and maturity. Thyatira was a, a city known for trade and making deals. Sound familiar? It was an ancient hub of commerce, a city of manufacturing, of trading, of weaving, of blacksmiths. It was a city that was known for trade guilds that flourished. And the trade guilds were social, religious, and cultural groups of people and understandings. They were effectively the local co-ops. They were the trade unions of the day. And each guild was built around a particular trade, trade unions of today, who had strength and monopoly and power. And each guild was around a certain industry and most of the people were born into a guild. So if your dad was a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. And if your dad was a winemaker, you were happy. I mean, you became a winemaker. Hey, Chad. So the guilds revolved around industry, the unions, the culture, the civic responsibility, the influences revolved around your culture. And each guild, each culture had their own pagan god. And they would get together regularly to celebrate. And they would celebrate the feasts according to their pagan god. And whatever their pagan god and that feast was became known as a guild feast. And I think this is possibly where the early church became known as the people who had love 
feasts. Because these people would worship their pagan gods and they would bring offerings. They would eat food and make sacrifices to their pagan gods. And at these feasts and festivals to the pagan gods, they would offer up all sorts of things. And debauchery and sex became a part of who they were. This was first century Rome. So this is what Jesus is talking to when he said there are people who are influencers. There are people who are taking you away from the love feast and the things that we are calling you to. There are people who are trying to make it in a world that is no longer theirs, where they are giving themselves to a culture and a guild and a group of people because they are intimidated by what that holds. Influencing the church into compromise. Now the guilds were a network and they helped you make a living. So for the early believers to be part of that guild meant that you could trade. To be part of that guild meant that you had cultural standing. To be part of that guild meant you had social standing. To be part of a guild meant you could take home a paycheck at the end of the month. And so when Jesus is saying, I don't want you to compromise and go to the Jezebel, to go to the guilds, to go to those places. I don't want you to compromise on your first love. It's a harsh word that is being said. Because that's where people found their identity, their security, their income, the ability to put their children in school and pay their way. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to compromise. So friends, saying yes, I follow Jesus meant I don't want to do it that way. Saying yes, I want to follow Jesus meant I'm no longer dependent on that guild for my finances. Saying yes, I want to follow Jesus, saying I'm no longer dependent and giving my time to that thing. Saying yes and following Jesus, saying my cultural relevance is changing, my social relevance is changing, my understanding and my stature in the community is, cha- is changing. I'm no longer part of the blacksmith guild because that's what I was born into. I am part of the kingdom of God guild because that is my new creation, my new identity and who I am. And friends, I want to say that there is a personal, the, the, uh, um, the, confront, the confrontation here is allowing an anti-Jesus, an anti-kingdom, an anti-church narrative to come into the way that we think and live and have our being that brings in a compromise. I would suggest that the 21st century Johannesburg is not that much different to the 1st century Rome. The 21st century Johannesburg and the 1st century Rome have so much in common. And so we can go to this letter that Jesus is writing, and that's why I say it's as relevant for us today as it was for them then. Friends, we live in a culture of narratives or stories. In our lifetime, we've experienced such a nuance of narrative, such a, a change of story, such a seduction in what is happening where people are creating platforms and personalities and profiles, all the pun is intended, that are redefining their stories and their lives to how they want it to look, not how Jesus has defined it to look. We have so many people that are influencers and insta-fluencers, 
my Instagrams and things like that. Social media has more weight in most people's lives than the kingdom of God. Social media influences more people than church and teaching and doctrine on a Sunday morning. There is more connection that happens on social media than happens in a church. Even in our church. I have more connection sometimes with my family on WhatsApp than I have around a dinner table. And for all of you who, who, who have teenagers at the moment, you'd understand. I get, more, I get more information from my teenagers via social media than I get from having a meal together. And no matter how hard we try to change that, people are rejecting what they know to be true because of their feelings. I don't feel like this on a Sunday morning, therefore I can go be A, B, and C. And people are following their feelings into free fall. And we need to grow, we need to mature, we need to help one another. Otherwise, the free fall of feelings into a fragmented community will continue. And friends, this is nothing new. And I'm trying hard to wrap up. I, 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 I know that things are getting cold. We find it in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Agree. If you agree, clap your hands six times. Okay, just warm up those fingers. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were born into the, uh, created in the image of God. And Satan shows up. The first thing he says is, did God really say... And so 2,000 years later, we have the belief in things, in creation, in life, in covenant, in community, in integrity, in sacrifice, in family. Even in his church, where we say, did God really say? Is fellowship that important? Is connecting that important? Is prayer that important? Is accountability that important? Is growth and maturity that important? And the past few years, we've become more and more confused as a generation enters the free fall. Friends, it can be trendy and it can be sexy to do all the things out there. But we need to make a decision to do the things inside here. COVID and the pandemic is not an excuse to press out. So... COVID and the pandemic is not an excuse to pull out. It's a reason to press in. We need to press in because surely in a pandemic, we need to love, support, care, provide, nurture and encourage one another than we do when everything is going well. There are too many people that are hurt by churches that are religious and not life-giving and loving that people become hurt rather than heal, and then they write their own story and narrative on what church is. And therefore their narrative is, I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need kingdom. But what they really should be saying, I need the right church. I need the right kingdom. I need the kingdom and not the empire of Rome. As I said before, if it's just you and Jesus, you're on a one-way track to a cult. And your journeys and stories that are rooted in hurt will never reflect kingdom and God. As a friends, I'm wrapping up there. I'm sorry it's been long, but I'm want, I'll, I'll carry on in a fortnight 
in a fortnight as well. But with all said and done, there are, I, I'm, I'm convinced that God is speaking to the church of Johannesburg. I'm convinced that God is wanting to bring out a prophetic word to the church of Johannesburg. I'm convinced that it's time that the churches unite, as Rochelle said this morning, and we do more and we do better and we grow and we mature and we hold one another to account because there is a world that needs us. And so I'm wanting to make a number of adjustments as we move into a new season. And for me, this is a prophetic and powerful season, a season of growth. And so we're going to be making some tweaks and some changes. Are we doing okay? Five more minutes and then coffee. I'm wanting to ensure that to the best of my ability and as much as I can, we can hear God for the now and have a prophetic heart for the next season. We don't get the season where we say, oh my goodness, if only I'd been diligent, if only I'd been wise, if only I'd used my brain, we wouldn't have been in this awkward situation. I don't want government or COVID or legislation or anything to dictate what we do and what we can't do. I don't live in fear of what is happening. I live in faith of what can happen. I live from a supernatural reality, not the situation circumstance around us. And I believe God is taking us into a season of profound growth, of growing and of maturity as a family, as a city and as a nation. And so with that in mind, we're going to do a couple of things. And the one of them is that next Sunday morning, we're going to welcome in formally those folk who have been visiting and part of Real Life Journey for the past couple of weeks or months who want to actively be involved in part of what we are doing and what God has called this city and this church too. I believe that God is doing greater things and new things and God is going to take us to more glorious places in the season to come. And so with that in mind, I'm wanting to change some of our leadership structure and so next Sunday morning we're going to ordain uh, we used to have deacons in, in, in real life and things change after a while and we haven't had them for, for a, a past couple of years but next Sunday we're going to ordain and lay hands and pray for our next set of deacons our next set of deacons will be Tracy Yay! and Francois and Brachy and so they're going to join the eldership team, Mark Candice, John, and Ali, and myself, as we navigate and lead the sport. But I say that to say this. I believe that every single person in real life is a leader. That you're responsible for leading yourself and those that God has called you to disciple. And even in our forum, everybody here actively leads in so many different things. Be it outreach, be it ministry, be it worship, be it servant-hearted, be it set-up teams, be it rosters, be it whatever. That this is just something that is different. I also appreciate, and this morning is testimony to the fact that I just look at Caesar in the back there at the moment, that, that winter is upon us and that we are meeting outside. When we started meeting outside, part of my thinking was that we'll move, move onto the patio and into the, the, the indoor space when it got cold because there's heating and it works more. But the reality is at the moment we're living in an environment where COVID numbers are increasing in our community on a regular basis. And most of us are aware of more and more people who have or have been exposed to COVID. This morning we pray for protection, health and healing over Ira, Anton, their families and Neville 
as they're at home in isolation at the moment. And so I want to be wise and I don't want to wait for government to lock us down where God's given us a brain and said use it. So next Sunday morning will be our last in-person meeting as we currently have it for a season. And that's because I'm saying let's plan and prepare for wisdom rather than wait for legislation to say you must do something. I'm wanting to operate from a position of protecting, to be a dad who loves you enough to say that some things need to change so that we can continue to do what we want. I don't want someone to arrive on a Sunday morning, be infected, and then we have to close down. We can't go to where God's called us to on a Monday, Monday morning. So next Sunday, we're going to welcome in the people who have been visiting for a season into the family of your life. We're going to welcome in and commission and lay hands on the, the deacons who are going to be part of our leadership team. And so next Sunday will be a more celebratory, family, feasty type morning and less stew ministering and preaching. What we're then going to do is break into small groups. And I'm hoping that we'll have four or, f or hopefully five small groups. So if you would like to lead a small group, won't you come and speak to me afterwards as well, specifically if you've got four or five people that you want to be in your small group. I've started to plan and prepare who I think some of the small groups should be, but I'm wanting to include your thoughts and perspective in that because you're all leaders and we hear God together. So what will happen for Sunday mornings, the week after next in a fortnight's time, is we'll do Zoom and Facebook Live. So if the people who are on Facebook Live want to be involved in our Zoom meetings, please be make contact with me and let me know. So we'll do Zoom meetings and we'll have a, a time of ministry and then we'll break into our small group meetings. And for me, the small group meetings are mandatory within grace and the, th and the fact that life happens and sometimes we can't do it. But our commitment to small group is our commitment to growth and to maturity and to one another. I don't go to small group because I need I go to small group because God has called me into family and somebody in that group may need it. And I'm trusting that in those small groups, we develop, we grow, we build, and we do life together. Each Sunday, one of the small groups will come to our home. And if there are visitors or other people who want to join us, then that's also fine. But because it's a smaller group, we don't have to set up everything on a Sunday morning. We don't have to put out the urns and everything. Setup will be smaller and we will have the numbers to be compliant and wise and meet on the patio and in our, in our home so that we can have heaters and have warmth and, it'll be, and those small groups will rotate. So every month, one of the small groups will be in our home and the, re and the other small groups will meet online. But depending on your small group, I really do hope that maybe you say, okay, fine, our small group will, will meet online and then we'll go and have a picnic together or we'll do a walk together or we'll do something together. But that you develop that relationship within your small group. I'm trusting that this is part of what I feel is something prophetic of God. That we are proactive, that we are hearing what God is saying for this season, that we are preparing for the weeks to come, that this is an opportunity for us to be highly relational and highly organized and highly effective, that this is an opportunity for growth. And there are other folk who are not here this morning who are going to be involved with that, some of the people that are going to be welcomed in who are out of town at the moment as well.
So Holy Spirit, I ask that all that I've shared this morning, our dreams, our plans, our thoughts, all that is of you, won't you allow to bear fruit and to grow, that we mature. And if it's not of you, won't you blow it away in the wind. We want a fresh wind. We want a wind of the Holy Spirit. We want a season of glory, of growth, and of transformation. Jesus, I believe that you are speaking to this church right now, that you're speaking to our city right now, and that you are saying to the church of Johannesburg, I know you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. You are going to be a lovers of people more than a lovers of gold. You, real life, will be a church and a family of influence. That you will not be influenced, but you will influence. I believe that Holy Spirit has been saying to us over this past season and in a stronger measure now, that you will punch above your weight. That you will have an efficiency and effectiveness and a range of influence that is greater than you've begun to understand or imagine. That you are a church that is going to have reach into business, into commerce, into culture, into art, into schools, into so many different areas. That you will be a group of people that will light up your city in his awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Fantastic. Now that I've finished, the sun's coming out. Well, at least the clouds are gay and it is getting warmer. Does anybody have any questions before we break and have coffee? And I realize I'm going to be meeting up with a couple of people for the next short while. But does anybody have any questions specifically with regards to some of the changes that I've announced? I realize that for most of you, you've only heard this now for the first time. You'll have to chew over it, meditate over it. But please give me a call. If you've got any questions or any thoughts, then, then give me a call. One of the things I am doing with the small groups is I'm not including the people in the small groups that, that don't arrive. So we're not going to have a, a, a group of 10 people and then two people show up on a Sunday morning. We are, I, I am working through the logistics of that at the moment as well. Um, so it's a group of people who are engaged. Any questions or you just all want to rush up for the heaters and coffee? If you, want to, if you want to lift to, to worship this evening, um, worship in the park and in the, in the bush, um, we're leaving from my house at quarter past three uh, this evening. Uh, fantastic. Friends, just stack the chairs, um, turn off the heaters and help move the sound equipment, but let, don't need to put, you know, let the heaters cool down before you put them away. And if need be, we can leave the, ch the, the chairs here. But let's go grab a quick coffee and, and, and warm up. I can see all your... <laughs> All your hands are cold. Fantastic. Thank you. Fantastic. So all, all of you guys are online. Just really good seeing you. Um, let me know via um, WhatsApp or email or on, on Facebook um, if you've got any questions. We are going to carry on with Facebook Live. It'll be slightly earlier time slot. I'll advertise that during the course of the week. But if you want to be involved in our Zoom meetings and our online meetings, then drop me a message and I'll make sure I get you the the Zoom link. Love you madly and speak later from a slightly chilly Johannesburg because there's snow on the berg and the wind is slowly coming in. Love you lots. Bye. Thank you for listening. 